When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ultra Hope Girls, a Danganronpa podcast. The three of us are here back to talk about episode five of the DR3 anime. There's a lot to talk about in this one. It's starting to get interesting, and I'm really excited to dive in. Just a heads up that this episode will spoil... Episode five, Danganronpa 3 anime. And with that, let's get into it. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Dong and Roomba podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another place on this corner of the internet. How, how do we feel about episode five, guys? I feel very upset that this episode, um, within the first 12 seconds of the future arc episode here, they really be starting us off with a literal puppy getting hit by a car. So I was upset. I, yeah. That just describes <laughs> Danganronpa in one situation, I would say. <laughs> that does. It's a metaphor. I remember when I first played played through this uh, anime, you know, um, uh, when I first watched through this anime, I didn't love the Seiko, Rurika, Yoi, like, storyline. Like, that, that wasn't my favorite part of this anime. It wasn't bad by any means. It was interesting. But I remember being kind of like, ah, so this episode didn't hit me that strongly back when I first watched it. But I don't know. I think that there was a lot to kind of unpack there. Starting, yes, with this dog that gets hit, which is very sad. And Rurika doesn't even care, like, at all about the dog that didn't make it. Yeah, like, what is that? (laughs) She's like, thanks, you saved my dog. Let's run away. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I I had a note here that it's really interesting. So they become friends, but immediately you find out that like Seiko can't eat sugar. I don't know if we find out why that is at all. Um, but it's an interesting dynamic then because Baruka's core identity is rejected immediately by Seiko, or that's how I think she views it in a way. And so because of that, Seiko feels like she has to make up for not being able to appreciate Ruruka's talent by like, basically letting her use her for like various things or like providing things for her it actually begins with Seiko being more like the one who's like here let me make up for the fact I can't eat your treats by like giving you things and like but it builds and builds to then a very toxic dynamic that Seiko feels like she has to balance out because she can't yeah they can't connect on that fundamental level and so Seiko spends literally their entire friendship trying to make up for that but it will never be as good as the real thing for Rurika I would say. I actually do have a note, Nurse Marin coming in with some pharmacology information. So in that scene, in that episode, Seiko says that sugar interacts with her medicine and causes awful side effects to occur. Um, and sugar is glucose. So I went into a med dictionary and looked up meds that interact with glucose. And there is one drug 
that has a moderate effect from glucose. And that is other than insulin and things like that, but that would not be affected by glucose. You would just take more or less insulin. So that out the window. Um, the one med that can be have a moderate interaction with it is called flutaoxyglucose F18. And that is a positron emitting radio pharmaceutical used to diagnose uh, cancer or coronary artery disease or seizures during a PET scan. And a PET scan, um, it's kind of similar. It's not similar to uh, like a CT or an MRI, but they're all three like diagnostic tests. And I think people are a lot more familiar with like x-rays and things like that than the PET scan. But PET scans, the way that they work is you have a little bit of that radioactive glucose put into your body and you get a scan of your brain and they see where the glucose kind of uh, rest where it moves to because malignant tumors actually use up more glucose than the rest of the brain. They need more energy. And so that is how the PET scan works. And that is the only med that is affected by glucose. And there are no meds where it gives you sudden adverse effects, especially since Seiko is not going to get PET scans every time she eats Rurika's treats. And so <laughs> in summary, I know that this is a different universe than ours, or, you know, it's a future universe or however you'd like to see it. But it, it's kind of interesting to me because this means that Seiko either made up her condition, made up the medicine she's taking, or she is taking something that doesn't yet exist. But if she's the ultimate pharmacist, I think she'd be able to come up with something that isn't affected by glucose. I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting because I think it gives a lot of push in Rurika's direction of she's not really trying to enjoy Rurika's talent is the, the message I got from learning that about the medicine. I do have a thought, which is, I think that I think I agree with the theory that Seiko has created something that she is taking that counteracts this, like her being able to eat sugar. So I, I do think that that is legit, like what she's saying, but it could be that like whatever it is that she's trying to like take this medicine for, we don't know what it is. We don't know what she's trying to heal in herself or what traumas she has going on within herself that she feels like she needs to take a medication to do X, Y, and Z, or if she actually needs it. But it could be like, she doesn't want to reveal a, that part of herself. I'm saying it as if it's a mental health medication. It could literally be, be a physical thing too. But like, it could be like, she doesn't want to give up the stability in this one physical or mental area by eating sugar. But also like, does she need that medication to be herself? Like, we don't know. And I know she's the ultimate pharmacist and she could come up with things to counteract it. But I, I think that she really does care about Rurika and I do think that there's some something like like some specific medication she's taking that is like the only way to fix one specific problem yeah that's how I feel because especially at the end with the shot with her holding the candy up that she's kept she's kept it like she does care she really does and I, I think that there's something else going going on there I actually had so like when she when Seiko first brings up her medication that like oh my god like I can't eat sugar. It'll interact with my medication and I'll die. I was like, uh, <laughs> I was a little bit skeptical immediately just because like glucose is literally present in so many basic things that we eat and consume constantly that I just have a hard time imagining it. Like 
it would interact with a, a drug and kill you. Like, I'm like, really? So I was a little skeptical. Um, and that led to me having like an immediate kind of slight suspicion that Seiko might've been lying, but I don't know why she would have done that. And then I, I also was thinking about it along the lines of, oh, well, you know, she's ultimate pharmacist. It's Danganronpa universe. Like maybe she, it's a medication she created for herself. It's not something that actually exists IRL, which is definitely a possibility. But um, I think on like, in hindsight, and on thinking about it more, I think I agree with Carolina. I think that um, Seiko actually is telling the truth and that if she could, she would eat the sweets because I do think she actually cares about Ruoka. And yeah, she like kept the little candy. It was like, yeah. And, um, you know, at the in that one scene in this episode, when Ruoka gives her kind of the ultimatum and says, like, you know, you need to like eat this candy or I'll kill you or something like I don't remember exactly what it is but um and Seiko still doesn't do it I I think that I think if she could she would eat the sweets I do want to also bring up the point that like earlier like with the first time Ruka gives her the candy Seiko says oh it'll mess up my medication but later when she's in Hulk form or like whatever the heck when she's taking all those steroids or whatever that is that's when she says it'll kill me. So I'm also wondering if it's like if she hadn't taken all those steroids, if she could have had the candy and it wouldn't have had horrible effects. But because in that scenario, she had taken that steroid medication, it would kill her to actually ingest the sugar. Because the the, 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 the oh, what's the word? The word, syntax? the words, the syntax, the syntax she used is different from both instances. So just yeah. a counter, a potential counter argument the fact that she changes from a young age of saying like, oh, like I'm going to get adverse side effects from this too. I'll die if I eat it. That could be a sign of just a change in how glucose works on her in something that isn't true. Like maybe when she was younger and we don't get to meet her parents, we don't get to see how she grew up. Maybe they said like, you can't eat sugar or it'll like really hurt you. Maybe that was a parenting move and she's stuck with that and she believes it with all her heart and it's grown as she's gotten older to this very negative phobia of glucose where ironically, maybe as the ultimate pharmacist, she doesn't understand it. But I I don't know, that's something that potentially kind of struck me. I will say the first time that I watched through the show, I did not like Rurika at all. I thought she was very selfish. I thought that, you know, like a horrible friend, I didn't like her. This episode, watching this again today, I actually feel really bad for Rurika. And part of me wonders, both sides are at fault in this scenario, but I honestly find a lot of fault in Seiko that I didn't see before because yes, Rurika was like, hey, can you make me this chapstick? Can you make me this thing? But she had to watch her friend be able to complete task after task perfectly and she never got to prove herself back. Part of me wonders if she asked for all of those things just so that she could see Seiko fail once because she fails every time she asks her to try something and Seiko says no. But Rurika, like, every time she asks for something, Seiko provides. And so it's more of a, like, she can't fail. Like, imagine watching someone you admire succeed at everything, and you're never allowed to succeed. That can't be easy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. And I agree with you a little bit in that I also have found more faults in Seiko this second time through. Like, I think, honestly, like, I mean, one of the... I think key like kind of climactic moments in this episode is, is like 
you know, Seiko is like having her internal monologue and she's going beast mode and Rurika's having her internal monologue and they're like, ah, and then all the glass shatters and they, they both say in unison, like, where did it all go wrong? Like, I love that moment of the episode, side note. But like, I think the answer to that question, like, where did it all go wrong? I think like a huge reason that their friendship turned out this way is because they didn't communicate effectively with each other. I mean, I know like I'm a fan of communication and friendships and relationships in general. And Caroline is like, yeah. (laughs) Um, And I think that like, yeah, in a way, I think when I watched through through this anime the first time, I blamed Rurika for taking advantage of Seiko and constantly demanding things of her and being ungrateful. And I do still think there's a little bit of an element of that. But I also think that like, Seiko you know was growing resentful and frustrated with all that Ruruka was demanding of her but Ruruka might have not known how Seiko felt she might have had no idea that Seiko was like not happy with constantly being asked for things she might have like like you said Marin kind of been seeing it as a way to let Seiko shine and like see her have her talent in action and I think like maybe if Seiko had opened up a little bit more to Ruruka about like hey I don't love you treating me like this or like hey I I feel taken advantage of or something like that then maybe this would not have spiraled out of control like this yeah I kind of interpreted this as like I don't I don't know if this is like true for real life but oftentimes in stories there are two characters that like come together and they can never create something great together like they they always it will end in tragedy like it, like it's like a tragic relationship because both people have flaws that are in- incredibly like they rub against each other and so like in you know i th- i think that I, again i don't know i don't know if i believe in like you know predestined nation or that our fate is laid out for us you know sometimes i do sometimes i don't but in this universe i think that they were doomed from the beginning they they were like doomed from the start that because of a fatal flaw within Seiko's character and a fatal flaw within Rurika's character yeah Maddie I was gonna say uh fatal flaws being doomed from the start I think fits well with the fact that they literally meet over a dying puppy right um it's just kind of like (laughs) symbolic honestly yeah, and I think it's important, too, to talk about what Seiko's bracelet says with the you can't get your shadow stepped on, because that, I think, also kind of points to what I was saying earlier, where, like, there's a saying, a very common saying of, like, step out of someone's shadow, like, you know, become your own person, become your identity. And I think it's very interesting that Seiko's bracelet says you can't get your shadow stepped on. She's never been in Rurika's shadow. Rurika might be more extroverted might be more out there but Rurika would never have succeeded without any of Seiko's products and help along the way and I think that if they had just let each other shine it would have been so much better but Caroline like you said I think I don't know they just weren't meant to be Seiko appreciates Rurika's talent not at all and Rurika appreciates Seiko's talent 100%. She literally says when when they're like fighting, she says, like, I wanted to be you. That's so much to unpack. Oh, yeah. I just I felt a lot for her this episode. I was like, wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And it's almost like it's it's enjoyable as a, a consumer of media to watch a relationship that just didn't work. And they're, it's layered and both characters are just messed up in their own way. And like, there are problems and it, it just, it's, it's really good. 
Oh my god, I also want to cosplay Seiko. I added it to my like cosplays list because her cosplay would be so fun. That would yes. be cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's most of the future arc. I mean, we we find out um, like Tengen basically tells uh, Munakata what the what who the traitor is or whatever, but it's silenced, so we don't hear it. <laughs> the audience <laughs> doesn't know what it is. But then Munakata murders him anyway, which made me think either like oh maybe like tengen is the one behind it because he can't lie or i don't know i have no idea just Munikata decided yeet boys let's just murder <laughs> man yeah Munikata does look shook though he his does. eyes really widen implying he didn't know what was coming right yeah. so probably not tengen then yeah or even you could argue makoto right oh yeah true even though like no way <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> we all knew. Yeah, um, yeah, no, Munakata does look pretty shook, and then he says something about like, oh, like you think that's gonna deter me, or like that's gonna change my mind. Like he's trying to keep it together. Yeah, so I definitely don't think he saw it coming. But also in that conversation, Tengen mentions something about Munakata sacrificing Chisa, and I thought that was interesting, and I don't know what that means. But I actually don't know what that, like, I don't remember what that means. I'm going to have to continue watching the show and remember, <laughs> like, what that refers to, if anything. But um, the idea of Munakata sacrificing Chisa, whether that means he killed her or just, like, if that's, like, a more symbolic thing of him sacrificing her. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. they were in love and now she's dead. I think that he's saying that potentially in a way, and it could be something later. I honestly don't know if it if it does come up later again, but, you know, Munakata's always said like, oh, like, you know, we make sacrifices in order to get to hope. We we make all these sacrifices and he's willing to do that. And so I don't know if that's what he's referencing, just like a general like, oh, like she was just another sacrifice or if he meant something very pointed there. Right, right. So one thing that Tangan says in this conversation is victory is not the prerogative of war alone. And I was like, whoa, Tangan. We actually, the three of us took a quiz like just before this episode about which character we are from uh, the Danganronpa 3 anime. And I am Tangan. <laughs> and I was like, I am honored. This man speaks in riddles. <laughs> <laughs> but that quote is, I believe, in reference to an essay written by Immanuel Kant called uh, Perpetual Peace, a Philosophical Sketch. And it says, um, or one part of it says, but by war and its favorable issue in victory, right is not decided. And though by a treaty of peace, this particular war is brought to an end. The state of war of always finding a new pretext to hostilities is not terminated. Meaning, even if you end one war, you don't end the state of war and you have to bring about peace in order to stop the trend of war it's like this real thing I, I read it was like four pages long of just Immanuel Kant's like thoughts and I was like wow you are a smart man sir <laughs> but it was super interesting because I think that's exactly what Tengen was trying to say winning this one battle against the remnants does not win the war you have to come to a solution you have to agree between parties to have a solution before the war can end it will never end if you just try and eliminate a side i don't know it was so interesting i was like wow philosophy. Yeah, for sure. that reminds me of world war one and how that was supposed to be the war to end all wars and 
the reason why it wasn't is because the people who who basically made the treaty at the end of the war, which I can't remember uh, what it was called, but they basically were like, hey, Germany, we're not showing you any mercy or um, Axis powers. We're not showing you any mercy. Like, pay up, baby. And like that, that is why what happened happened because Hitler was able to rise to power because of an impoverished nation anyway. And and it's just interesting because I think it's also the time period that World War One took place. That was the most despair inducing, awful, most tragic event in human history for a lot of the people at that time, you know, in the world, because it was it was World War One. I. I mean, it was like the entire world was involved. Um, so yeah, just interesting parallel to history. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Oh. He says, the state of peace among men living side by side is not the natural state. The natural state is one of war. And I think that is so interesting looking at Danganronpa. Because it just takes a little spark for that fake peace to just go kablooey. It's very true. Yep. There's always, even if it's not like a literal war, there's always some kind of two-sided hostility in, in every everything my last note is about munakata um and it is just the fact that after he gets his eye gouged out there's like blood all over his face and he looks a lot like Todoroki and I'm just <laughs> wondering if that is the the stem here for me of of uh you know my my affection I don't know I just thought I'd bring that up as a potential discussion point <laughs> Oh my goodness. Speaking of actually relating to that, my last note is that the voiceover actor who plays uh, the blacksmith guy, uh, he is also the same voice actor as Sir Night Eye in My Hero Academia. No kidding. (laughs) And I sim for Sir Night Eye. So I was (laughs) like, I was like, oh my God, I love his voice. Like, sounds kind of familiar. And then I looked it up because Funimation, you know, they use the same couple of voice actors for pretty much everything they do and i was like oh interesting interesting <laughs> can we talk about yoi's quote where he's like i will kill you in the name of deliciousness I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was funny oh. oh my goodness i have i think two yeah two last notes about the future arc episode um and one of them is the interesting way that Juso uh, Sakakura talks about Munakata. He obviously he's very loyal to Munakata, and he you know is is trying to like you know kill Makoto and Hina and then you know for Munakata. And he describes his loyalty to him as a vow that he swore. And I just think that's like an interesting word choice. I, I just couldn't help but notice that, and I thought that it 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 almost makes me wonder like if Juso has this kind of like religious devotion to Munakata or like his mission or something yeah it was it was just the word choice that I noticed and maybe it's the translation I don't know but I thought it was interesting and then my last note is did y'all see the post-credits scene for this there are post-credits scenes there's a very short post-credit scene no there's not in every episode but in this one there is um it is a very very short scene it's Munakata with like his eyes bandaged um it's him injecting something into himself and his eyes turning black. And then he says, now it's time to end this. Oh, man, it's my boy. <laughs> it's your boy. Moon Kata. Well, 
every time I hear like the you know like in the outro I'm like all right done with that <laughs> right that's what I do too <laughs> though I know that there are post-credit scenes for a lot of anime and I really need to not uh skimp on that but it's okay all right y'all we are going to take a quick break but we will be right back so don't go anywhere and in the meantime if you are interested in more bonus content from us the ultra hope girls Feel free to check out our Patreon. The lowest tier is just two bucks a month and you get bonus episodes on every off week that we don't post a general episode. So we'd love to have you join the crew. Um, Check it out. And in the meantime, we will be right back after this. Hello, everybody. Caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement. So I, separate from the other Ultra Hope girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl, and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. All right. Are we ready for Despair Arc? Oh, yeah. Never been more ready. The title of this episode is The Beginning of the End, which reminds me of what Nagito says in chapter five of Danganronpa 2 when he describes it when he's like bombing things and he says it's the beginning of the end of Jabberwock Island. Do you remember when we almost named that episode that? The beginning of the end? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been funny. (laughs) True. So I guess that that title for me means, you know, Junko, is it, it comes in in this episode, and we know that with Junko, nothing good happens. And we kind of <laughs> know how, like, we kind of know where it ends up. Like, we don't know the specifics, but we know, like, where we are now and where it ends. So it's, like, getting there that is the question mark. But, you know, we know that where it ends, again, the beginning of the end. So it's the beginning of the track of the remnants of despair. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. A lot of interesting things. Yeah, we have a couple different, like, it's so interesting. In this episode, I actually didn't make this connection. There's a couple of different, like, pair dynamics that are explored. We have the ultimate imposter and Ryota, and we have Junko and Mukuro, and then we have Izuru and Hajime in a, in a way, kind of smallly at the end there. Do we want to start with, actually, I think my first note is about Junko and Mukuro. Um, I found the dynamic between them very weird. Yeah, that was not how I expected Mukuro to be at all. I kind of interpreted it as, because the first time I watched it, I kind of thought the same thing. However, both of them together are the ultimate despair. And Mukuro, I think some people interpret it as like Mukuro like feels like romantic feelings for her sister. I don't think that that's true. I think that it's, she is so in love with the idea of despair and the idea of like, oh my god, if Junko kills me, she would feel the despair of, like, having lost her sister, and that's kind of the mindset. So at this point, 
the infection of despair has already spread through Mukuro. So we're seeing her in that mode. You know what I mean? We don't know what she was like before. That is super real. Yeah. No, that's a great point. That's actually a really good point, especially considering like the despair disease in the second game and how it made people like very act much not like themselves. So hmm, food for thought. It is interesting when they first walk up to the school, Junko says uh, they first laid eyes on the powder keg they'd soon ignite. And they're looking at Hope's Peak, but Makoto is in the image. And they also kind of set off Makoto as the ultimate hope. Like, yes, they set off the ultimate despair, but there were two powder kegs in that image that like kind of went off. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing of, you know, that's not necessarily what they intended um, to do with Makoto, but it still happened. And I don't know, I thought it was kind of cool foreshadowing or I guess dramatic irony since we already know what's coming up. But very true. Who else do we want to talk about? Well, I mean, we have, uh, Ryota and that that whole entire reveal which is super interesting I, I do want to I do want to talk about Ryota because a couple of things one is like I go to a school where animation is a major that that you can a- major in and I knew some people especially my freshman year that were animation majors and they did not sleep I mean that like it, they had animation takes forever to finish and so these people were so busy all of the time like I never saw them outside of class and so I I thought that was really interesting when wa- rewatching this and being like that's what it really is kind of like because it just animation is an art that takes so much time so first of all props to animators y'all work so hard um but then the second thing is this trap for artists that is, I think, relatable to a lot of artistic people who pursue art full time. That is, you work so hard to make your core, like, income to be from your art that sometimes you just forget to live. Like, your career becomes your entire life that you find no separation between, like, who you are as an artist and who you are, period. And it all kind of blends together. And so this struggle here, like, is really relatable, honestly, I think for a lot of artistic people. There is, that reminded me so much of what you just said, Caroline, of, um, I don't know if either of you, this is like totally on a tangent, but I don't know if either of you have seen Gravity Falls. Um, Some it's, of it. Yeah, it's like such a good show, but there is one, like um, they love to break the fourth wall. And there's like one episode where they're fighting like um, claymation monsters or something. And um, one of the characters is like, oh, like, you know, we don't have to worry about those monsters. They're just like these clay figurines that are, are moved around one, one tiny frame at a time by an antisocial shut-in. And then another <laughs> character responds, those people are called animators. <laughs> and it's just like, they, <laughs> that is such like, yeah, that's such a prevalent thing about like people who pursue animation is like, they, they have to spend so much time on it. Like, it's just, oh man, I could never. <laughs> I give Mitrai a lot of hate and we'll see if that continues. I do want to give him some props in this episode because 
we learned that his talent was not necessarily one he was born into, but one that was heavily inspired. You know, we see that, you know, his home life isn't phenomenal and he finds an escape through animation. And so he makes it his passion to bring that to other people. And he ends up being the ultimate animator. But I think with a lot of the other ultimate talents we see, like Hina was probably put into swim lessons and they were like, wow, like she's really good. She's the ultimate swimmer. Whereas for him, it wasn't something that he was given or something he was born into. He actually, it seems to me at least, that he had to put the work in to become that ultimate animator. And if Caroline, like what you're saying, where a ton of animators are under... They're, they work so hard that they don't have time for much else. Yeah, where a lot of them don't get enough sleep and, and things like that. To be the ultimate animator, like... That would mean then that all of that would be heightened. And so I, I do give him a lot of flack and I, I hear that, but I I hear myself, but I, I don't know. I think he deserves a little bit of appreciation because to be the ultimate in this field specifically is not easy. It's very true. Very true. We also kind of get to learn more about the ultimate imposter, which is yeah, super interesting because it's like the first time that we really can because, you know, he dies so early that and would never reveal this about this about himself because of the nature of what he does. Um, but yeah, it was it was really neat in the scene where he was introduced to Ryota for the first time that he was Byakuya and then his voice actor changes for each like, you know, persona he takes on. So the voice actor for Byakuya from the Danganronpa, the animation, comes back to voice him, the ultimate imposter, in this one scene, which I think is just really interesting. One of my biggest ships in all of the Danganronpa content available to us is the imposter in Mekon. Like, I ship them so hard, it's unreal. Because... Mikon is like more comfortable with herself you know she says all these things like is this when like I'm supposed to repay your kindness and he's like no he's like like have more faith in yourself like all this very kind stuff and I know that he is imitating Ryota I get that and so it could potentially not be him however he's just told her the secret that he's Ryota and from what we've seen of Ryota in this moment they are not acting similarly and so I Oh, I ship them so hard. I think that they are so cute. And just that scene where he's like, I need you right now. And she's like, <laughs> oh, I love it so much. <laughs> I, I like, I think that was him. I don't think he was imitating Ryota at that point. Like, and I, I think I've said this a little bit before, but I really like the ultimate imposter. I think that he's like a really good guy or like they are a really good person, I guess, because we don't even know their gender really. But um, when they're, like, taking care of Ryota when he's sick and, like, supporting Mikan. And I just, I'm like, I stand, you know? Yeah, yeah. he's a good character. Him, him and Mahiru get better character development in the anime. And I would put him higher on my tier list knowing who they were in their past. Like, definitely. Definitely. Um, me too. Yeah. My only other note from this entire episode is that Hyoko is tall now. <laughs> right. I have that too. Oh, and we see the 78th class, like, in pictures on, on um, Jin's desk, which I think is so, I, like, whenever that happens, it's like, oh, my God, our babies are back. Like, it, it like it's like, I'm so excited to see my children again. Yeah. I love the OG characters so much. And then they have, like, Makoto walk up to the front of the building, and it's the, like, I'm like, oh, yes, it's starting. But, like, in a bad way, I guess. See, I didn't quite have that reaction, I would say, in the photo entering the storyline, but, oh. you know, 
All right. <laughs> My last note is in that scene with Hajime uh, where they're, he's thinking about, oh, like, this is going to be so great. You know, I'm going to be who I've wanted to be forever. He sees Chiaki in almost every cut. I'm like, oh, it hurts my heart so much. And I just, for the future on the island. And ah! <laughs> yeah, that's my emotion during that. That's valid. Same. And that made me so sad because he was like, oh, I just want to be like someone that Chiaki can be proud of or whatever. I'm like, you already are. Like, oh, I cry. All right, everybody. We have made it to our amended bedwet head. Today we are doing Ryota, The Ultimate Imposter, and Mikan, an old fave for me and Marin, maybe not Maddie. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about our, our prompts we picked. I picked someone who you would trust to file your taxes. Beautiful. Uh, I picked someone that you would want to be your like post-school counselor. I would say college counselor, but that's not for everyone. So your post-school counselor. Hmm. I picked someone who you would want to chauffeur you all the way across the country, like oh, a several wow. day long road trip. So for my post-school counselor, I think I would go with Mekon just because my career path is very physically demanding. And so because of that, it would be nice to have like someone who knows how to like, you know, give me advice on like how to treat my voice well and how to treat my body well. And so I think that would be like a really helpful tool to have so she'd be my post-school counselor i would say um i think i would have rio to file my taxes just because i feel like he'd be good at that for some reason i don't know why there's literally no other reason also i think i'd trust him with my taxes he seems pretty pure up to this point and then we have the road trip i would do the ultimate imposter because out of all of those characters he's the one that i'd like want to get to know and like i feel like he'd have like a ton of stories to like talk about and all that stuff um and he'd probably be dressed up as Biakia, so like that wouldn't be too bad either. <laughs> All right, so for me, I would have Ryota be my post-school counselor. I feel like he'd have some pretty good ideas in terms of how to make my essays for college interesting. He might help me animate some of my college essays. That'd be pretty cool. So yeah, also I think he'd be too sleepy to A, drive a car, and B, I think he might make some mistakes on my taxes. He might be a little too sleepy. So um, not going to pick him for that, unfortunately. But um, yeah, and then I would pick Mikon to file my taxes. Uh, I think that she would definitely make sure that there were no mistakes because I think she'd be worried that I would get mad if if there were mistakes which of course i wouldn't we love you mikan and then i would have the ultimate imposter drive me cross country for the same reasons as you caroline um i actually have the same answer as caroline um i would have the ultimate imposter drive me across the country um i do think he'd be a cool person to get to know and i would actually trust him to like drive me i don't know if mikan can drive a car i don't know if i trust her behind the wheel um she's just so like panicky um and I don't know if I'd want Ryota behind the wheel either because he never sleeps and so for filing my taxes I would have Ryota do that because you know as an animator you know he is he is sleep deprived but as an animator he's very detail oriented and so I think that he could he could handle that and then I would have Mikan be my counselor sort of by process of elimination. I don't have a strong rationale for this one. I don't know how well that would go over, but I don't know. Maybe she, she, she's eager to help people, you know, maybe she'd have some, 
some good insight for me. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to listen to this episode about chapter five, episode five of the anime. We had a great time talking about it and we hope that you had a great time listening. Let us know your thoughts. We are on Twitter, Amino, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. We are on Patreon. If you want more content about the material we talked about today, make sure you join Patreon. The lowest tier you can join is $2 a month and you get access to a bunch of really cool extra content and we would love to see you there. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.